Hello and welcome to the September 21 edition of the Influential Times podcast. As always, I'm joined by Jack. Hey Jack, how you doing? Yeah, good thanks. Hi everyone. Um, so yeah, we've got a few stories to get through today. Um, I will start um, with some updates from LinkedIn. Um, obviously, me and Jack have talked a lot this year about uh, so, uh, social media platforms jumping into social audio, and I think Jack's probably got a couple of updates around around Clubhouse to go through. But um, the first one we noticed in September was LinkedIn um, announcing that they're going to get more involved in kind of online events. Um, obviously, back in March, they were talking about a wider sort of creator event strategy. Um, and I think this is going to be a big part of that. Um, so what this will essentially involve is um, LinkedIn selling tickets um, and, you know, organisers will be able to kind of monitor how, how sales are going. They can have their own dashboard to look at that. Um, the main driver of this, of course, being that the majority of the workforce is still working remotely. Um, I think probably in-person events have taken a little bit more time to get back to normal, especially when you look globally. Obviously, I think the UK is probably slightly slightly ahead um, in that respect. Um, but yeah, I think one of the big updates with this as well is that they're going to overhaul their kind of video and audio capabilities. Um, they actually, it was announced, I think, last year, or no, so it was earlier this year that they uh, are one of the main investors in Hopin, which is a virtual events platform. So you know, a few people saying that perhaps there might be some sort of integration there, and that's that's part of the reason why they've got involved there. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, but yeah, I think this is an interesting move, Jack, and it's probably one that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, think giving it some thought, I think one of the big values to the B2B brands will be, you know, making things a bit more seamless. Obviously, if you host an event through LinkedIn and then you can connect with people, you can almost continue the conversation and, you know, have your sales team following up with those leads. I think it will probably make a much more seamless experience, won't it? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, having having it all in one place is definitely an advantage. I think there's probably always, a, I don't know, maybe there's a degree of drop off sometimes with that sort of thing where kind of, people know that that's what's happening mm. and so that they can be a little bit more more cautious but i think that's always the trade-off and you know you offer if you offer most sales and marketing team the choice it's probably i'd like you know i want the confirmed names so that i've actually got their linkedin profiles and i can see who i'm dealing with and who is and isn't um, yeah yeah worth going after i think you know most people would accept that trade-off so yeah follows on from twitter doing the same thing um yeah, I think the sort of, you know, some kind of live events is probably the new normal now, um, these kind of online events or, or figuring out how to do hybrid. And I guess the challenge is kind of upskilling teams, dealing with kind of everyone's at home Wi-Fi, how do you get the tech upgraded, all of that to kind of get yeah. the infrastructure in place to to keep delivering it because there's clearly demand um, to, to keep going and LinkedIn are, are betting heavily yeah. on that. So, yeah, an interesting yeah, one. Big opportunity for the um, for the creators and influencers as well, I think, because you know if they're getting you know speaking sessions on these live events through LinkedIn, and then people can connect with the influencers straight away, and then you know they'll probably drive higher social engagement with their posts, their write-ups, and obviously we see influencers doing a lot of event you know follow-up activity. So I think it'll probably benefit the influencers as well. Yeah, good good integration with you know anyone who's got a newsletter already. I guess it's it's sort of similar isn't it? It's it's being able to kind of either choose to monetize or deepen your relationship with your audience. You know, then then you've kind of if you're if you're trying to get a booking for webinar engagements, you want to be hired more as a speaker, 
you've actually got some hard data to point to to go, you know, this is this is the type of attendance I can drive on my own. You know, bring me bring me to your event. I bring, you know, I can bring 200 people along on a uh, on a rainy Tuesday evening in Stoke. So, yeah. Um, yeah, see, see what I can do. Um, so that sort of on, on the topic of, of, you know, additional kind of live audio ticketing and things like that. My first story is around Clubhouse, uh, if you remember them. Um, and I sort of I it, it's sort of easy to sound snide now, I think, about about kind of where it's gone. And, uh, you know, you, you sort of hear a lot of stories about struggles and scaling. And I think it, it's not uncommon. They're trying to they sort of tried to take on a challenge where I think they correctly identified what the problem was, but it's just proving a little harder. And I think some of the some of the other moves and shakers in that space were pretty quick to react as well, which I think is evidence of how right they were about the idea. And now they're just getting edged out very, very fast. So there's a there's a story in The Verge about the sort of sponsorship program, their creator program that they had um, really kind of struggling to just just on an operational level to get going. The creators were just hoping for a lot of help with finding sponsors quickly. And then sort of the way that was set up wasn't very sophisticated. It was just kind of having to do ad reads live on the podcast and things like that. No real sort of targeting. Clubhouse doesn't have the audience demographics. So from an advertiser point of view, it's a bit, you know, as a bet, it's kind of, it's okay. It's obviously highly engaged people in a clubhouse, but if you don't know exactly who they are, you don't know where they live, you know, what their age is, you know, age, gender, income, location, job titles, any of that, all the things that advertisers want at least some idea of. It's a bit of a struggle and we've seen Spotify, Twitter really kind of ramp up their efforts and, and Spotify has had probably the best sort of advertising products um, when it comes to social audio, if you want to call it that, or podcasting, if you prefer to call it that. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know, how do you how do you feel about kind of Clubhouse's ongoing struggles? Do you think, you know, was it inevitable or do you think just just slightly bad luck? Yeah, I think I think it was yeah inevitable really to an extent, wasn't it? I think it was a great, great idea, but I think there was just, you know, with, with Twitter getting in there and, and LinkedIn, Spotify and other platforms who just have that, the clout, really. I think it was something you mentioned on one of the previous pods about, you know, the developer power of those other big companies. They can create what Clubhouse have done over probably a few months in like a day or a couple of weeks. Um, so I guess it was always inevitable that they'd, yeah, sort of almost nick the idea, really, and kind of do it better or with, a you know, a bigger user base. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, possibly inevitable. Yeah, it's, it's a shame because I don't think there's any reason why kind of new platforms can't break through. You know, you can just look at TikTok in the last, um, in the last two years has, has kind of gone from being a, a decent sized player, like sort of Twitter or, or kind of LinkedIn with a specific function to being like a real bit of a behemoth and in lots of ways sort of driving a lot of online culture so mm. it's doable i guess it's rare um and you know that's not to completely write clubhouse off but it does it feels a little bit like it's going to be hard to persuade users to keep opening a different app on their phone um if if you're getting you know if you can hear from the people you're interested in hearing from on three or four different apps on your phone what's going to make you go 
there specifically, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's going to be the question. Yeah, so yeah, following on from that, I've got um, a story on TikTok actually. Um, so yeah, this week they, so say again. Speaking of. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're always cropping up, aren't they? Um, yeah, this week they sort of announced that, well, it was announced in the news anyway, that they've started kind of penalising members for um, sharing promotional content around cryptocurrency. So I think the thing here is that they're not trying to shut down influencers and creators. I think, you know, TikTok is obviously a great place for creators. Um, but what they are getting, you know, hot on really is is kind of, you know, non-credible content. They don't want it to become a breeding ground for, you know, financial scams. Um, and with tons and tons, obviously there's some great, you know, startups and financial services companies cropping up around crypto, which are really credible. But obviously they want to, you know, make sure that that's, that they are credible and that they're not, you know, there's no, I know with Instagram, I've had a lot of issues with, with crypto scams and things like that. So I think they're trying to just make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but I think, you know, the key message for those startups and brands is to really make sure they're building those credible influencer relationships, you know, making sure there's a mutual interest between the brand and the influencer and yeah, kind of moving away from, you know, simple kind of brand or product promotion. Um, that's the kind of key really. And obviously that's a message that we promote on Lytica as well. Yeah, absolutely. And be really hot on what the regulatory environment is. Um, I was actually, I, I was talking to someone about this on, on LinkedIn the other day. Someone, someone tagged me in a post about this about, because uh, I think Kim Kardashian was was sharing some, I think, crypto-related um, brand on her channel. And, you know, it sort of sparks the usual discussion. Um, it's it's kind of, you know, it's interesting to see TikTok go this hard on it and kind of just fully clamp down. It's a bit like when Twitter sort of just said, we're going to stop doing political ads because, mm. you know, it's, it's too hard to police this. It's too contentious. Let's just stop taking money um let's stop making money out of out of kind of you know th things where people might argue over uh, the benefits i guess if you're a, a sort of chinese government watcher you might say this proves what what sort of has been said about tiktok in the past you know th the chinese government seems to be cracking down quite hard on cryptocurrency um so you might say there's there's a sort of influence there so people who are concerned about sort of chinese government influence on on tiktok might say see we told you so mm. um, yeah it, it's kind of it, it bold bold to see them kind of fully ban a category um but yeah I, I suppose at the same time you know there's always calls for kind of more engagement from platforms on trying to stamp out you know misinformation so yeah exactly it, it's, it's, it's useful to see the other side of what that can look like and how you know probably some there's going to be people with interesting stuff to say that's perfectly worth listening to who are you know maybe going to miss out on income from this or maybe going to be be sort of shut down and uh yeah another lesson in kind of no easy solutions isn't it the, yeah yeah exactly. These, exactly these category crackdowns do have do have an effect on the other side and mm. not everyone you know not everyone agrees on, on whether that's a good or a bad thing yeah i guess it's probably a case of just being quite strict initially and then they might kind of ease things off as as, the, as they go um, to see how, how things go. But yeah, Maybe, interesting. Yeah, they can scale up their content moderation mm. kind of abilities or, or something like that. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, so, so my um, my final story relates uh, to something similar, actually. Uh, and from no 
from no less an authority than Rand Fishkin, who you might know from uh, as the founder of Moz. He now runs uh, an organization called Spark Toro. Um, and he's he's sort of written uh, a piece on uh, his blog uh, titled The Incentives to Publish No Longer Reward the Web's Creators. And it's kind of on a similar theme. It's, you know, he's kind of arguing that more and more content is now getting uh, essentially just goes completely unnoticed uh, online. You know, there's we've we've completely democratized the ability to create. It's not like, you know, eighth century Europe, where if you want to read a book, you've got to go to a monastery where there's a bunch of guys with the little bit of their hair cut out in a monastery all writing it out. And that's the only place to get a book and only a very rich person can have it. We've got incredibly democratized access to content. So it's probably true that there's people making fantastic stuff that never gets noticed. And he's kind of you know, noting how, for example, LinkedIn is, is known to punish people for sharing links. You know, your, your content will not travel as far as it's, uh, if it contains links potentially. And, and kind of just, you know, I, I guess he's issuing a little bit of a, a rallying cry and kind of saying, you know, can we, we try and push back against this a little bit? Um, I think it's kind of another lesson in, in how this, you know, all platforms are going to act in their own self-interest to an extent. Um, they want you to, to stay on their platform. Uh, for creators, that can create a tricky environment. What, you know, friend of the show, Scott Galloway, I, I know I probably cite him every other week, but it's, it's just a phrase that always sticks with me. It's kind of a phrase, don't build on, on rented land with your with your sort of platforms as a creator, thinking, always thinking about how you have your own kind of intellectual property and your own, you know, websites. You know, we spent this whole podcast talking about all the ways that LinkedIn or Clubhouse or Spotify can offer you all these magical services, but useful to remember for creators, I think that's always... It's always on rented land. You're always you're kind of using someone else's service to to access your audience. So always be thinking about how you, um, yeah, about how you can, you know, still still have your own presence and your own direct connection to your audience because it can it can get taken away. So encourage people to read that. Worth thinking about what it's like for creators out there, for any marketers listening, kind of what the what the environment's like. And for me, uh, my big takeaway from marketers would be really remember that people creating great stuff might still be struggling to kind of build those big big audiences and it's probably a little harder than it was five years ago to build a big big audience so be willing to kind of particularly if you're looking for content creators experts be willing to dig in a little bit and, and sort of go past just who's got loads of followers and the mega mega engagement and kind of look who's got engagement on the right stuff who's getting the conversation going and who's kind of sharing interesting things. So that would be my kind of, that's what I was thinking about while I uh, while I read Mr. Fishkin's article. Cool. Yeah, so that's everything from us. Um, we will also have a bonus story in our newsletter, so do look out for that. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.